I'm here to tell you meeting makers make it. I go every day. Do you make coffee or set up or greet? No. You sound like a meeting taker. <sighs> I love my sponsor. I, I heard, heard it through, through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sammy, what's happening in your sobriety there in the desert where you live? Palm Springs. Anything interesting? Well, Don, I got I to gotta share a little bit of a struggle that I've had. Uh-oh. So, you know, I grew up in North Carolina AA, and my experience there was a lot of focused discussions, whether it was based on literature that was read slowly or a topic meeting that was, you know, here's the topic for this meeting, things like that. And that's not my experience here in California. And I've had a difficult time connecting with the meetings. I mean, what and do you mean that's not your experience? So here- They don't uh, have topics? Often, no. Uh, so well, one of the things that I'll experience here is that a literature meeting will read a huge chunk of literature, 20 minutes, and then someone gives a lead share on that. You've just got this huge chunk of, yeah. of literature that you can talk about, and the it's not focused. And then a lot of the meetings here are lead-based meetings where the there's a person who may speak for 10 or 15 minutes. And then much of the shares are about things that that person shared about in their lead. It can be all over the place. And I just, my brain isn't like letting me connect to that. I can't like, what I need, what, what do I talk about here? Like, what am I? And of course, a lot of times I just listen. I've, I've listened a lot more than sharing because of that. And so I posed this as a question on social media that was not public. And I asked friends in recovery, you know, this is what I'm experiencing. What do you do? And I had a lot of people sharing their experience. Some people were just commiserating with me and others were like, you know, this is my experience and da, da, da. And no particular thing from their comments actually gave me the thing to help me get connected. Mm -hmm. But what was really cool, and I talked with my sponsor about this too, was that the conversation that was happening got my brain working. And what showed up was, Sam, you used to carry a notebook when you first started coming to AA and you wrote down all these little gems that you're never going to hear again. And actually, some of them I haven't heard again. But why don't you get a notebook and carry it to meetings? And that's exactly what I did. I got a notebook, just like the little one you've got in your Wait hand. Wait a minute. Right let now. me write this down, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and I... I carried a notebook to a meeting the next night and it worked. It, my experience of the meeting was different. As the literature was being read, I jotted down things that, that stuck out to me. As the lead gave their share, I jotted down a thing or two from that that stuck out to me. And then I did what I often, I'm, I'm, I would love to say always, but we don't deal in absolutes anymore, uh, do. And that is said something to the effect in my mind of, you know, God, if you'd have me share, give me the words. Mm -hmm. And 
I wrote down something that came to mind and I wound up sharing in the meeting. So, so I, writing it down changed your experience exactly. of the meeting. The meeting didn't change, but your experience of the meeting. Exactly. I had a completely different experience because I found a tool that helps me focus and recall what's being talked about in the meeting. You know, I had that experience and we've talked about it before where there's my sponsee has a group that I was going to and I went to it and it was different than my other group. And I would sit in and kind of like sit back and say, that's his meeting. Yeah, I'm going to his meeting. And in my mind, I was always going to his meeting. And one night I was going, you know, I've been going to this meeting for a year every single week. Why is am I holding it off from me by saying it's his meeting? So I went that night and made a change in what I had done in the past, which was go up to people and shake hands and welcome them to the meeting like it was my meeting. And it changed my whole experience of being there because I was kind of yeah. judging it. Yeah. I, I, and I got I was totally judging. I have yeah. major judging in all of this. Yeah. And I think that's the key point is that it's up to me to change or allow my experience to be changed uh, of a meeting. You know, I certainly have some influence in my home group by my voice and my vote, but every other group that I'm going to, I don't have any way of changing that group that's yeah. not me forcing my will on them. This makes me think of it's almost like a newcomer experience into AA because you're like going into a different, a kind of different AA when you move and you've got to find a way to accept it exactly as when I was new and came into AA and I didn't like what they were saying <laughs> in AA. And I was told to just pay attention Keep listening. Find where you can identify in rather than where you can identify out and forcing myself to do that. Well, OK, that guy's talking about that. That makes sense to me. I can feel that as real. Then that's what I need to do. If I'm spending my time identifying out, I'm kicking myself out of AA. I'm identifying yeah. out of AA. Yeah. And you, you made a very key point there about being new. And it's something that I've said for a long time now, since my restart in 2012. And that is a recommendation to people that if you're not connecting, if you're not getting what you need, be new. You don't have to drink or use a drug or anything to, to start over. You can just be new and try things differently. Yeah. Beginner's mind, as they would say in the Zen world. That's so deep. I have, I still have monkey mind. <laughs> Chaos monkey time. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, who's our guest on the show today? Don, today we're welcoming Will L. from Seattle, Washington. All right. Yeah, this is going to be great. But first, this... Sam, how can I support the AA Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? 
If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. Hi there, it's uh, Will from Seattle, Washington. Good to be here. Hi, Will. Glad to have you, Will. Have you ever been in a situation you weren't connecting with uh, with meetings and such, and you needed to to change things up a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I think my story is somewhat interesting in the fact that I, I moved around a bunch in early sobriety. So I was definitely thinking as you were talking, like, hey, I I did the big cross country move and back again a couple times in my first two years or it was just like huh I need to reconnect again I don't I I get that fresh start but at the same time I've been here a little while so um I did the big move and it's always a little bit challenging trying to figure out the new lay of the land for sure Will when did you get sober June 14th 2011 and what was going on that brought you to AA there's two points one was the more obvious like health consequence where I um, ended up in the hospital for alcohol poisoning. I had found myself out of answers there. How old were you? Uh, 21. And I found myself in the psychiatric unit getting evaluated. I actually had an experience where someone brought a meeting into me there and I connected with them. And connected with the doctors and was like, okay, maybe I should give this thing a shot where it's just like, okay, I'm out of answers. I'm in a hospital. I don't really know where to go from here. Um, And that was the first turning point. And I kind of have a second turning point uh, as well. And that was a little bit deeper into my sobriety where I found myself still going through the motions in the program where I was showing up and I was doing some things, but I also wasn't truly giving all everything over. And I wasn't willing to do that yet. And I found myself in a place, a literal place of sitting in a bus stop bench in downtown Seattle thinking like, okay, it's either I got to drink, I got to do something about this, or I actually have to reach out to somebody and take care of myself. And I think that was like the turning point for me to say like, okay, maybe I dive into this. And I sat on that bench for about, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes debating what I was going to do middle of a rainy winter night in Seattle. And thankfully, as part of my halfway house, I had someone in the program that was checking in on me. And it was just like, okay, he checked in on me. He came down and picked me up in his car. And it was like, okay, I can, I can be okay as long as I reach out a little bit more. And I think that's when I started to take the program a little bit seriously for myself. So, so when your friend came and picked you up and that moment, that realization of, okay, I, I, if I reach out for some help, I can, I can probably do this. What changed? What did you do differently? From that point forward, like I did some extra service work. I became the greeter at my home group and forced myself to be a little bit more social. And- so you're 22 years old. What do you say to somebody who's 22 years old? that wants to drink again, everybody does. 
the social aspect, especially as a younger person, it's part of culture in a lot of ways to go out there, go out to a bar and or go out to a club and dance and hang out. So recreating that culture for young people, I think, is really important. And it was for me. How did yeah. that show up for you? We went out dancing or watching a movie or hanging out. We would stay up late at night and I would continue to like put myself out there and do some fun things. And I think that was important because I needed a replacement in some ways for my old life, but still have the excitement and world around me still be new and and fun. Um, Build a community. Yeah. Build a sober community of friends, because that's what you've been talking about this whole time, really, is being yeah. a greeter and just being open and and becoming a part of the community of AA and then go party with the, with the AA members. <laughs> yeah, because I still love hanging out with alcoholics and, and drug addicts. I just wanted to spend time with sober ones. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 12 years on, what's it look like today? And the theme of like re-engaging, I guess I'm kind of coming back in a way. I never left, but four or five years ago, I returned to school to get mental health training. And um, I spent three years in, the, in that academic program. And then I got a job and restarted my career after I went back to school. But um, after school, I kind of stepped away for a little bit to kind of focus on some different things in my life. Recently, I've started reconnecting with with AA again and just being a part of again. Can you describe something that's happened to you in the past year where you turned to the steps? A lot of the tools that I use where like we learn about the inventories, we learn about step four and step 10, where we take personal inventories and a daily inventory. And I think, um, and also like the reaching out to others aspect of AA, I think I'm constantly using that. Being in the helping industry in terms of my career, a lot of my work is around like reaching out to others and being available for service um, so that I feel like I am contributing in a way that is useful and I can move forward in my life. And that aspect of step 12 is valuable for anyone, but especially for AAs who are looking to try to like continue to grow in their, in their sobriety and in their, their own process. I love how you talk about how you used the tools that you got in these rooms out in the, the real world. You know, it's a design for living that works in rough going. I love that line in our literature. Is there something in particular that prompted you to come back to AA? You stepped away for a minute. Why did you come back? Like I said, I was always connected with people. Like I still saw a lot of my AA friends and I still stayed connected with a lot of AA friends. So I didn't really leave, leave in the sense that I swore off and didn't go to meetings at all and moved away from everyone in the program. I wouldn't suggest that for everyone. I, I love that connection, again, is what we're talking about here. And you remained connected. And when you were ready to ramp things up again, that connection made it easier to do it. I yeah. No, it definitely, it definitely helps. Getting sober doesn't mean my life is going to be easier, but I have found that I do get better at living life. 
Maybe not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's not, that looked that didn't look that affirmative. <laughs> well, okay, Will. Don't go anywhere. It's time for the Ask It Basket. What's that? <laughs> That's the name Bill W. gave the basket that was passed around for questions. We want your questions for our guests. General recovery questions, newcomer questions, AA history. Basically, it's our AA AMA. AA, ask me anything. Got a question for the Ask It Basket? Call in and record it at 212-870-3418 or email it to podcast at aagrapevine.org. You can find these and more at aagrapevine.org slash podcast, and you can also find it in the app. That's right. And now, let's dip into the basket. Our question today is from Felix in North Carolina. Hello, how you doing? My name is Felix, and I'm an alcoholic. And I was reading inside of the 12 and 12 traditions on page 26 where it says, take it easy. What do the author mean by take it easy? The quote that Felix is referring to is on page 26 of the 12 and 12 in step two, but it actually starts in a paragraph on page 25. And I want to read that real quick. Let's look first at the case of the one who says he won't believe, the belligerent one. He is in a state of mind which can be described only as savage. His whole philosophy of life, in which he so gloried, is threatened. It's bad enough, he thinks, to admit alcohol has him down for keeps. But now, still smarting from that admission, he is faced with something really impossible. How he does cherish the thought that man, risen so majestically from a single cell in the primordial ooze, is the spearhead of evolution and therefore the only god that his universe knows. Must he renounce all this to save himself? At this juncture, his AA sponsor usually laughs. This, the newcomer thinks, is just about the last straw. This is the beginning of the end. And so it is, the beginning of the end of his old life and the beginning of his emergence into a new one. His sponsor probably says, take it easy. The hoop you have to jump through is a lot wider than you think. At least I've found it so. Yes. And that's on signs in every meeting room on bumper stickers. In fact, I've got a bumper sticker that says take it easy because it's really useful to me. And I think what it really comes down to is to change my focus from all the stuff that's going to happen in the future that I'm worried about to what is the next thing for me to do. And if I'm doing that, I'm taking it easy. If I can just bring my focus down because I can't make a hundred decisions and I can't I can't change tomorrow, but I can work with right now. Will, what do you think about Take It Easy? It's easy for my mind to race, and I could go into psych nerd stuff and start talking about brain chemistry and reconnecting after getting sober. And that's true, too. There's a lot going on, but I need to take things as simply as possible, taking one thing at a time, uh, living one day at a time, like slowing it down giving my time uh, myself some time to reflect and like move forward without letting my mind race, which is much easier said than done. How do you do it? Okay. I realize my mind is racing. Let's take a deep breath. Something as simple as that. Take a breath. Think this through for a second. Be okay. 
Um, and sometimes I even have to be more direct with myself and just say, stop. Like I need to like pause my, my own thinking and process of processing. So I don't know. Yeah. There, there needs to be an interrupt for me. And I think that the biggest thing that showed the way that shows up for me is awareness because I used to just spin and not be aware that I'm spinning. I'm just caught up in the maelstrom. I now I have a much better chance of being aware that I'm spinning. And with that awareness comes the option of saying, whoa, Sam, wait a minute, take a break, pause, breathe, step away for a minute. You know, this was going on for me last night. Last night, I don't know why, but I could not sleep. I don't have anything hanging over my head that's stressing me out, but my mind was just racing and racing. And so instead of fighting it, instead of diving into all the things that are showing up, I just would turn on the light and pick up a book and read and I'd get sleepy and I put the book down turn off light and roll over and sleep for maybe 30 minutes and the brain wakes up and doing it again. (laughs) And instead of fighting it, instead of diving into it, I just would read some more. I didn't get pissed off about it. And that is unusual behavior. That is not the way I used to behave at things like that. When that shows up and it doesn't show up so much as it used to. In my waking world, you know, me being out and about in the world, I'm so less likely to get spun up over things. If I do feel that coming, I am so much more likely to be aware of it and have an opportunity to interrupt it. And with that interruption comes the chance to do something different. I don't know why. I was just thinking of the acronym WAIT. Why am I talking? It's like, I've got this pressure. I've got to talk. (laughs) WAIT. And a lot of times, like in a meeting, it's like, I've felt like uh, I've got to share this. And if I don't, sure enough, somebody else will share exactly what I was going to say. That does happen frequently, doesn't it? (laughs) So just breathing. I will. I really like that breathing. That is really the answer for me is if I will stop and take a breath, come to the present moment, I say a prayer. I turn it over and show me what to do. And that works for me. That has worked for me for a long time. And if it's something that's persistent, I'll say like the program, we we learned some tools in the program, but also like if it's something that is affecting your life and anxiety and challenges, I think going out and reaching out to a mental health professional for us is also really important. Like I, I wouldn't be where I am without, adding some excess help uh, to get me through my own challenges. Felix, thanks so much for the question. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Felix. Will, thanks for joining us today. Indeed. Thank you, Will. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been good to be here. Nice talking with you guys. Sam, can you get that? It's the listener feedback phone. 212-870-3418. Yeah, hang on. I'll get it. Hello. Hi, Don. Hi, Sam. Uh, this is Madeline. I am in Seattle, Washington, and I have four years today. Um, Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! I'm calling in to say thank you for your podcast because the last year has been really rough for me. I started working at a residential facility for teenagers who are all essentially alcoholics. <laughs> It's just uh, where their brains are at. Of course, I throw myself into work, right? Being able to listen to your podcast on the way to work 
has grounded me a lot coming in. Been going to less meetings, and every time I listen, there's something. It's definitely my higher power speaking to me through you guys and through all of your speakers who show up. So thank you. Thank you to all the speakers who have come on. Um, one in particular is in my brain right now who always says, remember that the relapse actually started way before the first drink. And I hear that. And so I make sure that I go to the one or two meetings I got every week to hang on. Yeah, that's what I got. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you a lot. Thanks, Madeline. Madeline, thank you. That that just I got chills listening to you talk about that. And I um, I'm glad that the podcast has been useful to you and helping you stay grounded, being immersed in that situation where you're surrounded not only by alcoholics, but by teenage alcoholics, which <laughs> can be a little rambunctious, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> Don has fussed at me many times because I don't listen to the podcast, but actually I do because I I drive one day a week, I've got like a 30-minute drive to a client and then back. And that's when I listen to the podcast. <laughs> and it helps me with my driving. Okay, <laughs> Actually, it helps me with other people's driving. Yeah, that's the key. Well, that's the thing, Sam. It's like going to a meeting is the way I um, calibrate my emotional state. <laughs> it's because it's like to to let go. And I have a hard time letting go. When I go to a meeting, I feel better. And the grapevine is our meeting in print. So maybe the audio broadcast is our meeting in audio. I mean, I hope we're providing that for people with an interview with an alcoholic and maybe help to recalibrate. Podcasts work that way for me. And I'm sure glad they do. Madeline, thank you for calling in. <laughs> Thanks, Madeline. Hey, Don and Sam. This is Steve G. from sunny San Diego, California. I'm a longtime listener and first-time caller. I love you guys' podcast so much. It reminds me of a show I used to listen to on NPR called Car Talk. You guys are like the car talk <laughs> of um, sober podcasts. Anyways, I love you guys so much. Question for the Ask It Basket. I'm wondering how something becomes official AA literature. I'm thinking of such classics as Chuck sees um, a new pair of glasses or drop the rock. I love those books. I don't believe they're official AA recognized literature. And I'm wondering how something becomes an official AA literature, like um, I think the good old timers and stuff. There's some other ones. Anyways, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for giving me um, some healthy sobriety in my podcast feed every week. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Okay, let's describe the service structure a little bit. How does something become <laughs> conference literature, Sam? Well, so there is the conference-approved literature, but the grapevine is not part of conference-approved literature because grapevine is a nimble part of Alcoholics Anonymous that can do things quickly. The conference approval process is lengthy. It can take years but the way that that happens is it does go to the general service conference through the structure 
of communication. So it can actually start at a home group, taking something to their district meeting, which could then go to their area, which could then go to the conference. And then it gets approved at the conference, maybe for us to review some material that's generated about it at the next conference next year. Very slow. Edits. And yeah, it is a slow process. So wait a minute, Sam. So like there's really not a whole lot of conference approved books, but it's okay for for somebody to publish Chuck C or uh, drop the rock. Other entities can publish things that we in AA have used and love to use, but for it to be conference approved requires all the delegates to be on board. And that's a slow and deliberate process. And as one of my delegates says, uh, AA moves at the speed of consent, and that is a very slow speed. It's, it can be glacial. <laughs> and real quick, it's not all of the delegates. It's a substantial unanimity. Substantial that's what we're looking for. Yeah. yeah. So that's the way all that works. It's very rare in AA. Yeah. And insofar as a uh, click and clack... Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Someone else has told us this, too. Matter of fact, it was Chris, the publisher, who thought we sounded like click and clack. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what did he call us? I don't remember now. Dog and eyesore. No, that wasn't it. <laughs> Don. Well, which is which? <laughs> I'm going to let you be both. <laughs> <laughs> I love that energy. So that really makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> me, too. Steve, thanks so much for calling in. Hi, folks. We need your stories on the individual traditions. Pick one and write about your or your group's experience with it. How has a tradition played a part in your life? How has your understanding of a tradition changed? What is a personal experience where a tradition played a part? Visit aagrapevine.org for guidelines and to submit. I'm at the very wit's end. Cuckoo. An historic ham on rye from 1964. What are 10 items a drunk would like to have with him on a lonely island? Scotch, rye, vodka, gin, vermouth, brandy, wine, vanilla extract, perfume, and hair tonic. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.